Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Isaiah 2 in your Bible. The word that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither Neither shall they learn war anymore. Judgment pronounced on arrogance. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. Well, I am excited uh, for Advent, for the coming of Christmas, and all of that that happens. Uh, we're we're going to go somewhere this Advent. Um, even though the title is Waiting with Jesus, Discovering God's Kingdom of Peace, uh, each week we'll look at a, a passage of Scripture from the book of Isaiah. And we'll kind of gradually build until we get to Christmas Eve, uh, where we will have a a celebration, and I'm pretty excited about Christmas Eve because it's going to be a bit like, uh, well, it's going to be like our Good Friday service, except in reverse. And at, on Good Friday, we start with the room all lit with candles and stuff, and we read different passages of the story about Jesus' death, and and we extinguish candles as we go along. Uh, for Christmas Eve, we're going to start in in darkness. And we'll read sections of the story, and we'll gradually light groups of candle until we get to the the very, the very beginning of the story of Jesus' birth. And we'll light the Christ candle, and then we'll go out to the world, kind of singing joy to the world, celebrating Christ's birth. So now that I've spoiled the service for you, and you know exactly what to expect, I hope that you'll join us on set, seven o'clock on Christmas Eve. Uh, it won't it won't be a long service, so you can get home and in your pajamas and eat cookies and milk and hot cocoa and whatever else. So anyway, uh, we are starting with the book of Isaiah. And uh, the book that bears Isaiah's name uh, begins with a heading that kind of gives us a time marker. It gives us some context for when this book was written. And we're told that the word of the Lord comes to a prophet named Isaiah, son of Amos, or Amos, or however you want to say it. It doesn't really matter. Um, but he, it comes to him during the, the reigns of a couple different kings, the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, all of which are kings in Judah. So God's people, the, the, the nation of Israel, used to be one unified kingdom. Uh, by the time this takes place, there, there are two kingdoms, the nation of Israel in the north and the southern nation of Judah, which is where Jerusalem is. And so Isaiah is talking... Uh, well, he's, he's going to chronicle some things that, that happen and bring the word of the Lord to um, 
to a people who have been less than attentive to God and what God has desired for them. Uh, it'll deal with some things that happen through some different superpowers that, that, hap- that, that arise over uh, the course of this time period. Uh, in, in Israel's interaction with those kind of uh, world superpowers, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and, and the Persians. Uh, we'll notice, though, that in, in the first chapter, actually, God tells Judah or Israel that they have been less attentive and less obedient than a bunch of donkeys or oxen who, uh, who are trying to obey their masters. He's saying the people of God, God's children, have been less obedient than a donkey would be. I've never really dealt with donkeys or oxen. They seem like they could be stubborn. Uh, and, and so I imagine the image that Isaiah is calling out here is not one of, well, it's not a flattering image towards God's people. They have not been obedient. They have not been attentive or faithful. Well, the, the first chapter sets the stage, and it's kind of really, really dark, actually. Um, things are not going to go well for Israel. Things are not going to go well for Judah or Jerusalem. And, and uh, we kind of get the sense that God is going to use these superpowers that, that, are, that are there in, in the time uh, to bring about God's judgment on Israel, uh, that God is going to use uh, those nations to help Israel understand, well, their unfaithfulness and their sinfulness and, and help them to... Uh, to begin to reform, to act and live and be in a different way so they might be obedient. Uh, even though the, the image that we get is kind of that Israel is, or Ju- Jerusalem is going to get completely destroyed, uh, we don't leave on a totally uh, down note. We end up, God saying at the end of chapter 1, that Israel will, will be re- rebuilt. It, it will be reborn in a certain kind of way. That, that God even though he's going to bring judgment on Israel, that it's not going to be the end of the line for God's people. Uh, but one of the refrains, and this doesn't happen necessarily in Isaiah, one of the frames that, refrains that we hear in the Old Testament over and over and over again is that God is a just and merciful God, uh, steadfastly loving and patient, willing to relent from punishment. Uh, God doesn't want this to happen, God's going to allow it to happen. And, and even God's goodness and God's faithfulness, his steadfast loyalty and love towards Israel, towards Judah and Jerusalem, will not allow Judah to remain destroyed forever. Well, chapter 2 begins, and uh, the heading gives us a, a little just a little more context. I, I should say that the, the book of Isaiah, as we go through it, takes place over a long period of time. And it's not a monolithic book either. And so uh, what I mean by that is it's not all just during one period of time, and uh, it's kind of wide and varied. So just keep that in mind. The vision that, that Isaiah hears in this second chapter, um, it's one that's going to take place in the future. And uh, it has, it's a vision of hope, actually, for Israel. Uh, it begins by saying that uh, many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, 
that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and a word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, uh, Jerusalem and the temple were built on a, on a hill, okay? Uh, but they may not have been like the highest places around. But, but the picture that Isaiah is painting for us is that, that something is going to happen that God is going to look back towards Judah and Jerusalem and he's going to build them back up and he's going to restore them. And, and Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, is going to become like the highest point around. Now, I don't think that Isaiah is actually saying that the elevation of the city of Jerusalem will change. Right? I, I don't think that's what he's saying necessarily. I think what he's saying is that, that something is going to happen and, and people are going to look towards Jerusalem as a, as a beacon, as a light on a hill, as a place that is shining forth with, uh, as one of my favorite Old Testament scholars says, a peculiar authority. Uh, this peculiar authority really is the, the presence, the presence of God. See, Israel would have understood that that God's presence lived in the temple. And the temple was in, in Jerusalem. And so what Isaiah is saying here is that, th- that God is going to come once again and inhabit his holy place. And all of the peoples will say, they will recognize, this is a place where good things are. Uh, really, I, I think this is a, well, I think it's a, uh, it harkens back to Genesis 12. Uh, to Abraham, when God calls Abraham, and God says, "I'm going to give you uh, a lot of a lot of children. Your children are going to be greater than the stars in the sky, and I'm going to give you a land to live in." And that's what Israel ends up being. And you, Abraham, your family and your land will end up being not just a blessing to you or to your family, but a blessing to the entire world. At this point, to this point in the story, Israel has been anything but a blessing to the world. Uh, they've been wrapped up in themselves. They've, they've only kind of looked after their own interests. And so that's why the whole judgment thing. But in God's faithfulness, he's coming back. And his presence is going to dwell in Israel once more. And all of the world will see it. it will come and flock to receive learning. Look at the, the middle part of that paragraph there. That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. I think it's easy maybe to, to skim over that verse. Um, I think in our society, we have, a, we have a tendency, well, we have a really kind of rapid learning curve, right? Uh, we want things now. Uh, we want them to be quick and easy, right? If, if you're on the internet at all, if you're on social media, you'll see like, you know, BuzzFeed has 21 hacks for whatever, and you have to click on them, right? And they go through. And my favorite one is the one where like, if you're at a hotel room and you can't get the curtains all the way shut, you take the little pant hangers and you can like clamp it together. I don't know if that's you. I don't spend a whole lot of time in hotels, but when I do, I'm always blinded by the light because I can't get... Anyway. Uh, We have books that that promise seven steps to whatever. You know, a healthy, happy marriage. Seven seven steps for uh, losing all of the weight that you gained over Thanksgiving. 
And uh, we, we want these things to be fast and easy, right? Uh, most of those things on the internet are, are just, they're more concerned not with giving you real uh, sophisticated and deep knowledge. They're more about driving traffic to their websites so they can make money. I, I think, though, what Isaiah is envisioning here is that, that we may, the world may come and that God may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. This is not quick learning. This is not seven easy steps to something or you know, five hacks for your phone that'll make it work better or whatever. This is, this is learning that is like learning a new language or learning to play a musical instrument. That the only way the only way that you are going to progress at all is if you sit and you do the work. Where you, you take the flashcards for your vocab for the language and you go over and over and over again. You, you take the time to sit and learn how to conjugate verbs. It's been a long time since I've taken a language. Or, or you sit and you learn the flashcards so you know what the notes are and you, you spend the time every day to practice to practice the the instrument that you're learning, and the only way you get any better, the only way you progress, the only way that you develop the knowledge that you need to be proficient is by being patient, by working hard, by not giving up. I think this is the image that Isaiah wants to to say to us. God's going to restore Israel going to make it a place, a beacon of hope to the world. And all of God's people, all of God's people are going to come, and all of the nations, all of the people in the world are going to come, and they are not going to just easily learn. We are not going to just easily learn what it means to be followers of this God. It takes sitting and learning God's ways. It takes a constant commitment to walking in the paths of Christ. It is not something that will be easy. Uh, now, I, I think there's there's part of this that sets up the next, well, it sets up the next verse. I think one of the things, maybe in the context of this whole thing anyway, one of the most profound things that we need to learn is how to, kind of be reconciled with each other. Uh, that in many ways, you and I live in conflict, in argument with the people around us. That even if our, even if our lives are good, even if we're like good people, basically, we find ourselves in, in, in fights and arguments. And, and our understanding of reconciliation is, is that I get my way, right? Or or that justice is about someone else getting what they deserve instead of receiving God's grace, or our grace, really. I think what Isaiah is saying, part of it, is that the world will come to this peculiar authority, which is the presence of God. And we will slowly learn how to be reconciled to God, but be reconciled to each other as well. Verse 4 ends up being a pivot. 
and it says, he shall judge between the nations, and he shall arbitrate for, for many people. That's, that's the first part of this verse. That's what kind of leads me to believe that this part of what this learning, this foundational learning is about, is about reconciliation. It's about restoring the relationship between us and God and us and each other. Now, I don't, like, I don't pick this passage because I think that we are a particularly divided or uh, quarrelsome church, because we really aren't, compared to some churches I've been around. Uh, we like each other, and we play nice well, play nice with each other. We play well with each other, nice well. Yeah, you try to get up here and talk. Um, but I think our world is so steeped in antagonism. We are so divided by any number of things that we have lost the ability to look past those things and to be reconciled to one another in love and in grace. People come to Israel, to God, and he judges, not not in terms of like judgment, right or wrong, but to arbitrate, right? Between us, we learn to reconcile well with each other. We go on, though, and and the next part of that says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift sword up against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now, I'll say this at the beginning. I think think Isaiah is talking about God's vision for the world large that we be a people free from war and and all of the killing and destruction that takes place in it. But I don't know that you and I can live in a peaceful world where nations don't battle nations until you and I learn how to be at peace with one another. Now, this, uh, this they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This is kind of famous. It's in Micah as well in that book. And, and I think, though, that this word beat, as I've contemplated on this, it, it conjures up a mental image of, um, what are they called, a smith, right? Like an ironsmith or whatever. And they're, they're heating up a sword in a forge, and they are banging on it with a, with a hammer until it changes the shape and becomes a plow or a pruning hook, right? But I think that, that that image is way too gentle, actually, for the force of the word that Isaiah uses here. And the Hebrew word could, could really be defined like this. To crush by beating. To crush fine, beaten into pieces. Isaiah is saying that when God comes and he's calling us to us up, that, that our weapons of destruction. I'm, I'm not necessarily talking, I am talking about guns and knives and all of that kind of stuff, right? I think I'm talking about the, well, the ways in which we inflict violence and pain on the people that we love or the people in our, in our work or at our school. I think you know what those kinds of things are. They're, you know, a cold shoulder and silence. They are uh, gossip and a, and a biting word about someone else that may not be true. It's, it's impatience. It's frustration. 
right? All of those things. The image here is that, that God is going to take those implements of destruction, those tools of violence, and he is going to take them and not just reshape them, but to smash them to pieces. In fact, like the sword will have the war beaten completely out of it. That's the image. The violence, the destruction, the animosity, the hate will be beaten out of it and it will be remade not into something that will take life, that will hurt or kill or destroy, but into something that will give the abundance of life. I think the, the contrast from weapon of war to thing of agriculture is really important. Agricultural tools are meant to feed people. They are meant to give they're meant to sustain life. That's what they're used for. This is, oh, this is tough, right? This is the vision that, that God has for us. This is the vision that, that Christ is bringing about, that, that you and I would surrender our weapons of hurt and pain and violence to God to allow them to be destroyed, remade into things that will be life-giving, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us. As we begin Advent, we wait, right? It's a season of waiting. Uh, we wait for Christ to come in the person of Jesus, like this hope Israel had for a long time. It's our hope of the beginning of something new. But we also hope for Christ to come again, right? This this second coming where Christ is going to come back and, and finish everything that he started and bring ultimately his kingdom of peace. If you think back over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the gospel of Luke and that Luke was writing in this apocalyptic apocalyptic perspective that is revealing the kingdom of God. And and here we see what Jesus was trying to reveal all the way back in the second chapter of Isaiah, this this kingdom of peace. I think we wait and we, we know in our heart of hearts, maybe hopefully we do, that this hope that God has come and is transforming our weapons of war the things that give life, that, that part of that has come true already. Like, that's, that's what we proclaim as the church. But I wonder if, if what we need to do is not necessarily wait more for Jesus, but that we might wait with Jesus. That we might, as, as the text says, as his image that I hope, that I hope is there for you, is that that we come and we wait and we sit at Christ's feet and we begin to learn his kingdom of peace, that we begin to walk slowly in his path. We follow him around until until we have completely surrendered ourselves to him. This is not a quick thing. 
It's something that takes a while. We have to give ourselves to the hard work of it. Learning God's kingdom of peace can't be accomplished in six or seven or 11 or 12 easy steps. It requires that you sit and wait. Now, I think, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we, we do this maybe at, at different times. We sit and we wait and we learn from Christ and we surrender over our weapons of war and destruction personally and maybe corporately. But we don't give it quite long enough. That we're walking in Christ's path, but then something happens, and before the war and the violence can be beaten out of our instruments, our swords and our spears, that we grab them back and use them again in our own defense or in our own offense against somebody who is, has hurt us. My hope is that this Advent, for the next 24 days that we will wait with Christ. That we will ask, well, that we might pray this prayer over and over again. Lord, teach me your way. Help me to walk in your paths. Teach me your ways. Help me to walk in your paths. I think it would be good if you prayed this prayer every day this Advent. I think it would be good if you prayed this prayer multiple times a day. I think this would be good that every time you felt like doing harm, obviously we're not, gonna, we're not like violent people, right? When I say violence, we're talking about that relational stuff. But every time you want to go on the defensive or you want to go on the offensive and you want to hurt someone with whom you are in relationship, be it a colleague or a person in your life that you love, that you would pray this prayer. Lord, teach me your ways. Help me to walk in your paths. And that, as you pray that, that, that you will allow the Lord to speak to you and to help you to know how it is that you have worked against peace so you might surrender it and begin to truly walk in Christ's path. One of the ways we're going to wait with Jesus this Advent is that we are going to receive the Lord's Supper each week. I, I think it's important. I think this meal is important. It, it's been important for me and for my own journey and my own formation as, as someone who's trying to be more and more like Christ. Because it's in, it's in this meal that we are reminded over and over and over again that Christ did not exercise his authority or his power in ways that were violent. That in the face of those who were actively killing him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing.
Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.